Welcome back to Sharing the Journey. I am here again with Susan to continue talking about her life and faith story. And so, um, you graduated high school. You said you were a fine arts major. Yeah, in college I was. I I loved art because I think it had to do with when I would be in my family home. Like I told you, I get so focused on what other people were doing that I would go from room to room. <laughs> my father would be painting in one room, and I'd go and watch him paint for a while. My mom would be playing music. I'd go and listen to her and watch her for a while. And my brother would be doing his guitar, practicing or playing in his room, and I'd go and watch him for a while. And I was just <laughs> nosy, you know. <laughs> I was all over the house. But I have to tell a little bit of a story um, about my mother and why she was as passionate if you don't mind why she was. She was being groomed for the Metropolitan Opera. She was um, accepted at a conservatory of music. Um, she had a beautiful color to her voice, gorgeous. I've heard her voice that was recorded, so I know about that firsthand. Um, but I learned that my mother had had a tonsillectomy, and they did it in a dental chair, I believe, with her sitting up because they didn't want to mess with her voice. Her voice teacher was there, her parents were there, the doctor doing the surgery was there, but he cut a muscle in her throat and he ruined her voice. Oh. Now my mother, the one that fired the doctors, said, nobody's taking my gift from me. And she converted that gift into teaching other people how to sing. And she went on to become the minister of music in our church and led choirs. She led the child's choir, the young youth choir, and the adult choir. And she taught, again, she taught voice, piano, organ, and violin in our home. So that's that was her answer to have something stolen and taken from her. She was not going to allow that to be taken completely and fully and not have that be her passion in life. So I learned from that big time. But I did love art and I and I went and I I didn't know what my major was going to be. I thought what are the things I love the most? And I went to Cal State Long Beach and I figured out that their art department was pretty well thought of and I thought, "Oh, I love art. I think I'll take that." And <clears throat> then I met a woman who was going to go uh, further with her education and be a clinical art therapist. And she was going to work with people using art as a communication vehicle. And so I thought, oh, that's really neat because the other thing I love the most are people. And so I declared two majors. I declared a major in fine art and in psychology. And I took psychology classes. Ugh, boring. News, the new one, new psychology classes were pretty boring. But I knew I loved people. And then I had this thought, I think people are God's finest art. So I wasn't abandoning fine art. I was including it in what I thought I was going to do. However, <clears throat> God had other plans. And he redirected me to later in life to go to seminary and and it was um, really 
incredible the way it happened. It's, you know, it's it's a story in itself, uh, but the way that God works is he directs and guides, but he did make me uncomfortable going to the school that I had been accepted in to be a clinical art therapist. So I put a pause on that, and I said, I'm not ready to come. Can I come later? They said yes. In that time that I had on hold, which was about three months, I met uh, a woman who had gone to the seminary. I went to volunteer at a youth ranch um, for a month. I met the director who had gone to the same seminary. And then I was in Israel uh, in the prayer garden and talking with a few people, and a man approached me and asked me my name. I told him. He said he was the foreign exchange student from that very same seminary. And I went, oh, my God, what is going on here? (laughs) And I said to him, you're the third person that has told me about this place. What's going on? He says, I think you should pay attention to that. And I just knew that that was why I got uncomfortable. I put a pause on it. And so that's what I did. I went there. And then even after all that, I sat on a bench not knowing if I should go and apply. I wanted to make sure that it was from God. And this guy comes up to me and he says, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm here. I'm just kind of looking over the campus and wondering if I should go and apply. And he took my arm and he says, come with me. And so I went in. I applied. I got accepted. They took in 40 students that year. And I got accepted. Now, would I be surprised if God wanted me there? Hmm. And I still went, how did this happen? I go, oh, that's right. I know how it happened. (laughs) I got stopped in what I thought I was going to do. Another plan came to me three different times, three different locations, three different people. And that's just how I got there. I never, ever dreamed of doing that. But the the campus that I was on, the um, seminary, The program I was in was called Marriage Family Ministries, and it was to be a ministry-focused calling to heal the church. And they were thinking about the people that were coming through the program to be liaisons between a, a practice site in the church and the crossover between those two points of reference um, for the body of Christ. Um, later, many of the people that even graduated with me wanted to go into private practice and just be focused on having a clinical practice and so they had to change some of the names of the courses and things to fit the requirements so they could get credit for that but I stayed with the marriage family ministries idea and I've always thought as God is the counselor and I'm just his vessel I think of covenant um, the covenant of God with us, not contract. A contract would be more of a job, something that, a job that you do and you get paid for. For me, it's not ever been about that. It's been about what does God want me to do and say, and what is he really wanting for these other people that I get, quote-unquote, get to be with, not they get to be with me. They're going to get to be with him. And um, that's just how I've lived um, in the business end of that, I never took insurance when I was in private practice. I believe that um, a third party coming in between people that are determining what to do with each other 
has to be a very careful third party, and it only is room for the Holy Spirit and God that's three in one. So I, I really, really always saw the place I was in working. I worked in Christian counseling centers. I worked at a rehab branch, uh, which was Christian. I worked with Christian other associate counselors in a group. Um, it always had the word Christian in it, so people would want to come whether they were Christian or not because they wanted someone who would hold values. Uh, they said that they would want to come and do that because they wanted somebody that had uh, good values for things that would be relationally based. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. Actually, I had one man come to the Lord by looking at a picture on my wall. Wow. Yeah. It's this picture of Jesus holding a boy, and they're both crying together. And he stood there, and he got a little upset. He says, are you one of those Jesus freaks? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, but if you're asking if I know him, yeah, I I know him. And he he just went kind of rough, you know. And then the next day he came in, the time he came in, he looked at it, and he just stood longer and... And I saw a tear run down his cheek. And so as he sat down, I asked about that. And his son had been uh, placed in jail for a crime. And he was pretty angry about that. And that informed his own emotional response to the picture of the Jesus figure in the picture crying with the boy. Anyway, he broke down. He started sobbing when he was telling me the story. And then he said, how can I know him? And so he accepted the Lord right there in my office because of this picture. Wow. I know. So I have evidences around that Jesus is the center of all things. And um, sometimes you don't even have to talk about it. You just, it's, you know, caught, not taught. So you also have three kids. I do. Did you work while they were growing up? No, I got to be a stay-at-home mom. I went back to school after I was, uh, you know, not needing to be at home quite so much because they were more grown. My daughter, oldest daughter, was in high school, my youngest, junior high, and I had hours that I went to school when they were um, out of school, not in school. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in school when they were in school. Yeah. I, <laughs> I hope you got that. <laughs> Reframe. <laughs> yeah. So I was a late bloomer. I went back to school when I was almost 40. Yeah. So um, you've talked about it a little bit, but what were the challenges and rewards of your your job? Well... <clears throat> You mean my first jobs I ever had? Well, paid what? jobs. <laughs> I can tell you what I didn't like. <laughs> or I can tell you what I didn't like and what I learned from it. How's that? That worked. Um, <clears throat> the job that I had when I was in the accounting department, and I'm going, oh my God, that is not me at all. I couldn't stand it. <laughs> Looking at charts and numbers and trying to reconcile them, I would have much rather been reconciling people. <laughs> And I did work in the music industry for a while. And the lesson I learned from that was to not idealize any of these figures that were famous or popular and all that kind of stuff. Because there was a kind of an ooh-ah if you'd be working with somebody. I used to get to go to recording studios with some of the people that people would recognize the names of. And 
and at first that was like oh ah and then when I would see how they live their lives I'd go ooh ick (laughs) so I learned how to give up idealizing um I worked at a dessert shop after school with my cool. kids and my kids loved it. They would come in and get ice cream cones. Mom, hi. What are you doing in here? Oh, I just thought I'd look around and see what's available. So I I served um, ice cream cones and coffee, specialty coffees and desserts like truffles and trifles and you know, cheesecakes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I just worked a few hours a day, and that was fun. <laughs> but every time we had a family get-together, my family would want me to bring dessert, <laughs> which I did. <laughs> so that was kind of fun. I didn't learn a whole lot about that other than it was just sort of frivolous. And, well, I guess it has some kingdom applications. <laughs> I worked for a dishonest lawyer. And when I'm saying dishonest... Uh, it was in the way he'd keep people on the phone longer than necessary to bill them more than they needed to pay. Oh. And he actually told me about that. He said, did you see what I just did one day? And I said, what? And he says, I kept them on the phone for an extra half an hour. because I just I, got an extra 4000 bucks. <laughs> I could run the bill up. He told me that. He said he could oh. run the bill up. I quit the next day. I, I said, I'm out of here. No way. The other place that I worked, I did take typing because I thought I'd never go to college. <laughs> I took shorthand. And so I ended up being an executive secretary at a engineering company. And I worked for the president and two vice presidents who always um, fought with each other over whose work I was going to do first. It was ridiculous. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and the president one day he said to me, I go, I'm not telling you where or who. Um, he said, if my wife calls, tell her I'm out on the golf course. And it just so happened it was around the time that I needed to go to the copy machine and make some photocopies. And I looked out the window, and he was walking off the property with one of the women. Oh. Yeah. And I was hot. I was so mad. Well, his wife called and said, is so-and-so there? And I said, um, he told me to tell you that he's on the golf course if you called. That's what I said. He told me to tell you he's on the golf course if you called. Well, the next day he came in, he was really angry at me. He says, why did you say that to her? I told you just to tell her that's where I was. And I said, well, that's what you told me to say. And that wasn't the truth. And I quit that place right then. I said, no. Nope. I learned a lot about standing in truth no matter what, even if it meant the loss of something. What I was losing had no eternal value at all. I hated people mistreating people all of my life. Even as a kid, I would go and get kids that were sitting alone and bring them into the group because I didn't like the way people treated people. So I've always kind of been that way. Um, I think I became aware that nobody on earth has the right to use another person. The only one that has a right to use a person is God. He can use us any way he wants to. But I do not believe that any human being has the right 
to use a person for anything. The work I did in the call that God gave me was so thrilling to me. Going to seminary was thrilling to me. I felt like I was walking on holy ground all the time. People there with shared passion for God and for what they were there to do. They were serious. They were invested. Um, There was an integrity and a kindness toward one another. People were interested in each other. They were open. They wanted to know what each other thought and what they learned. We had study groups. It That's was, what church should be like. It was, oh my gosh, yeah. It was fabulous. Not that it isn't. Yeah, but, but. I, I got to do that, Chili, for three years. Three years. And I was part of a spiritual direction program, and I was placed under a spiritual director who had a profound effect on my life. Profound. It was like sitting at the feet of Jesus in those conversations, and I looked forward to them every week. I still think of the things he said to me. He's with the Lord now. Um, And his classes were always full. People clamored to get into his classes to hear what he had to say. He was kind of a father to everybody. Actually, he passed on Father's Day. Oh. Isn't that neat how God said amen to that you know he was he was a father to so many people and the one thing i loved the most about him is he would never let anybody put him on a pedestal he was the most humble man and the most thoughtful deep thinker um one of the favorite classes he taught that i loved was uh, bonhoeffer the life story of diedrich bonhoeffer and how bonhoeffer Hoffer really knew who God was and the love, he called it the love who God is. Not just are we loving, but the who of God is what love is. And I and I really, really grabbed a hold of that. People reflect who they are um, in the way they love and are open to each other and how they love, I believe. And that is the kingdom of God on earth. I mean, we can start living there now, can't we? We have to wait till later. <laughs> so what were the challenges and rewards of counseling in your various... Well, um, naiveness, first of all. Thinking that I got the messages of what to do and not do. <laughs> My first client, <laughs> we did team teaching. And the lead counselor and I was the co-counselor. We did two-party counseling. In the training part of it, um, told me what to say and not say and what to do and not do in terms of what would be appropriate with this person that he was working with. I'd never been in with her before. And so I went in, and she just was so sweet. And she said, oh, you're so easy to talk to, and I really like you. Can I have your phone number? And I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I just gave it to her. And we came out, and the lead counselor, his name I won't say, said, do you notice what you just did in there? And I said, what? And he says, well, she asked you for your home phone number, and she could call you here. And that's okay, because this is where she's coming for help. You know, he was the counselor. I was his helper. 
So he kind of got on me for that. But I learned that I had to really be careful with other people's boundaries. You know, I had to be respectful of what that could do to them or not do to them and that kind of thing. And I learned that right away. I was really embarrassed because he was a very, very loving and kind guy. But he knew her needs. And I didn't know her at all. I walked in there cold with person I'd never met before you know so he just was very loving in the way he he drew me up short the other thing that I was challenging was when the director of the place thought I was more ready to take on things than I thought he signed me up to lead a a, a, a grief group and I said you didn't even ask me and he goes I know you're ready and I thought that was kind of hard you know, I didn't know if I was ready. He said I was. Um, it ended up it went okay. But the fact was, I thought he should have asked me first. And then he signed me up to speak at a CAPS convention with him, Christian Association of Psychologists, and do a team presentation for a workshop, and he didn't ask me. Hmm. So he was kind of bold. Yeah. <laughs> and I was kind of not bold. <laughs> and I'd go in dragging my feet, to be honest. I never felt like I was ready I always felt like, no, nah, I need a little more training, I need more, whatever the more was. And so it just felt, um, everything always sort of felt too soon in the beginning for me. That was a challenge. Met with a woman once who um, had been really wounded in counseling by a lot of people, very misdiagnosed. Um, in the church had gone for prayer and was mistreated there too and so I thought oh my god what are we getting into here she tested me up one side and down the other she did things to test me to find out if I was going to be like those people so that taught me something that people have to know they can trust the person that they're going to be opening up at that kind of deep level with um, and I had not really had a class on all the different ways you can get tested in the counseling yeah, room. probably not a class in the... <laughs> well, probably not. <laughs> she took my license off the cork board in the waiting area and took it home with her and called me up from home and said, I just want you to know I took your license off the cork board in the <laughs> waiting room. Oh my gosh. And I said, Oh, thanks for calling and letting me know. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> and she did. But she was kind of playing with me to see what I would do with that. Would I cancel her? Because she'd been quit on by counselors mm -hmm. before, you know. So she had to know that she, you know, could trust someone again. Hmm. I don't, and I get that. I mean, horribly, horribly. I can just say it this way. She had been horribly treated by counselors before she got to me and she had been horribly treated in the church by prayer ministries that thought they were going to cast demons out of her mm. and they screamed and yelled at her and hollered at her to get them out and it was awful it was horrible I learned a lot of what not to do in those early years as well as what to do um, more in think of a person's life as their sacred ground don't assume. And so here's where, and I love Dallas Willard. I think he's a great orator, and he's with the Lord now, too, and pastor 
uh, professor, he said there's three P's and that we should all think about them. The first one is don't pretend. Don't pretend to be somebody you're not. I love that. Number two, don't presume. Don't presume that you know somebody without them telling you. And that took me back to when I was, gosh, I was about eight in a Sunday school class, raising my hand and asking the Sunday school teacher, are you reading the red words? (laughs) She says, Susan, why do you ask? And I said, because I only want to hear what Jesus says about himself. That has merit. For I want to hear what people say about themselves, not what I presume about them. That's presumptuous. And you may treat them the way you think they are rather than who they really are. So Dallas says, don't presume. And the third one, was my favorite, is don't push. Don't try to push people into anything. Don't try to push them to see things your way. Don't try to push being the spirit that moves people or moves things. Leave the push up to God. And I love those things. Don't pretend. Don't presume. Don't push. The push is God's. I think I'm going to stop here and go into a third part, which is unprecedented and ask the faith questions and if those are shorter I'll just add it to here sure so sure that'll work all right bye Merry Christmas